0: It is amazing that people who think we cannot afford to pay for doctors, hospitals, and medication somehow think that we can afford to pay for doctors, hospitals, medication, and a government bureaucracy to administer it. This is the Man Patriot Podcast, Episode 6. <laughs> What's up everyone? Welcome to the Man Patriot Podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss ideas freely. First of all, I want to say happy men's month everybody. So, um yeah, this is the month to celebrate being a man. And you know, and this month, as you, as I always say, it's a month where we drive awareness of diseases such as prostate cancer and testicular cancer and you can donate to people you can donate to nick wright i have provided his link in the description below on youtube and if it's on soundcloud you can find it in the info box okay talking about donations guys you can also donate to me on patreon um if you really like the work that i'm doing you can support me on patreon and you can donate for as little as one dollar and the reward that you'll get is that you'll be able to listen to my podcast much earlier than normal the period is actually three days if you're a patron uh you'll be able to listen to it on the monday of release and um if you're not you'll only get it on the thursday so that's the benefit of becoming uh a patron on patreon yes also um there's also uh, other benefits as well you can also uh ask me questions and i'll answer them and i'll answer them on the podcast and give you a shout out with regards to social media you can follow me on twitter instagram even on facebook and youtube Um, i provided the links to all of that in the description on youtube and also in the info box on soundcloud so okay um what i plan to do in the future is that i want to be able to have a twitter page for manpatria and also at the same time also open an online store Um, that is being developed right now as we speak and i will give you further developments on that Okay, so today's uh, podcast will be on um, why we don't need universal healthcare, and I'll be discussing that in the next segment. okay ladies and gentlemen so in this segment i'll be discussing why we don't need universal healthcare. so many of you guys who have followed me on facebook who are following me on facebook will know that i'm not a big fan of universal healthcare because of the fact that uh, it actually leads to more dire effects and also at the same time it doesn't produce the benefits that people intend them to have um, i am not a big fan of it at all um, even though i mentioned that again but it, i think this is one of those ideas that are based on good intentions, but lead to catastrophic effects. It's very similar to the minimum wage. Um, the minimum wage was put in there to uh, have a um, good effect on workers, where they could actually earn more. But in fact, it doesn't do that. What we actually, what I actually discovered last week was that um, this type of policy is not. Uh, good for young people who are looking for jobs especially if they do not have the skills nor the experience that justify the minimum wage and also um talking about the minimum wage before i get into why i don't believe in universal healthcare there was a good man by the name of and uh, he shared an article that he wrote for the city press and i gotta say it's a very good article you guys got to give it a read i've also provided the link to that the description on youtube and in the info box on soundcloud so you can read it up it's very good it says pretty much what i have been saying Um, not everything and there's more and it's more in depth and also um it's got some graphs as well so you can look at the look at it from a visual perspective as well so please um read that article people it's essential that you read it and also at the same time you know get knowledge on this issue All right, so what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to read out a little essay that I typed out myself a few months back with regards to the National Health Insurance, which was announced um, to be implemented. I don't know when, but uh, Dr. Aaron Mutoledi somehow did it. I think he did it in June where he announced that we need something like the National Health Insurance. So I'm going to read it out to you. And i'm also going to provide some commentary along the way and then i'm going to end it off with a little um, clip between what my two favorite um, philosophers or, or economists um, and these men are walter williams and thomas saw speaking on national health insurance or what the the name for it is actually universal health care but in south africa it's going to be called national health insurance okay So let me start reading the article. Okay, so the title of the article is Universal Healthcare, A Dangerous Scheme Founded on Good Intentions. Okay, so the article begins, or rather the essay begins. On Thursday, the 21st of June, 2018, the health minister, Dr. Ann Mutsulady, presented the medical schemes amendment bill and the National Health Insurance Bill. According to him, the amendments are pivotal to ensure quality healthcare for all, irrespective of socio-economic status. The new scheme aims to implement a universal health care system, which implies that no one will be liable for the payment of health services. The new bills were supported by the President, the Health Ombudsman, and even the CEO of Discovery, Jonathan Broomberg. On the surface, this seems appealing due to the intention of the bill, which is to provide quality health care for all South Africans, irrespective of socio-economic status. However, such a system brings forth inefficiencies, high monetary costs, lower quality of health care, lower productivity, and less freedom for citizens. I argue that given the state of the public health care in South Africa, the proposed amendments will just make things worse. So what is universal health care? In commencement, universal health care needs to be defined. According to the World Health Organization, universal health care is defined as the means that all people and communities can use the promotive, preventative, curative, rehabilitative, and palliative health services they need of sufficient quality to be effective, while also ensuring that the use of these services do not expose the user to financial hardships. Based on the definition, the foundational premise of the universal health care is to provide a social safety net for those who cannot afford the high cost of health care when they're required to utilize them. In the private sector, this problem has been addressed by means of medical aids, where customers are able to contribute to a pool of funds monthly, which enables them to utilize health services while the medical aid settles the fees with the healthcare practitioners. Depending on the medical aid, the insurer will either settle the full amount or a portion of the amount. In the situation where only part of the settlement is paid by the insurer, the insured will need to settle the remaining amount. Furthermore, customers can utilize gap cover insurance to assist in paying the remaining portion of the healthcare practitioners. However, not all citizens are able to afford medical aid nor gap cover. Furthermore, there are citizens who can afford medical aid but do not utilize it. The NHI aims to cover all South African citizens. However, I argued that such a scheme will bring forth inefficiencies, high monetary costs, lower quality of healthcare and lower productivity and less freedom for citizens. The substantiations of my argument will now be discussed. So my first point is that South African government-run institutions and public health care are inefficient and expensive. Okay, I argued in my opening paragraph that the National Health Insurance Scheme will bring forth more inefficiencies to the current health system. Currently, South Africa has an already inefficient public health care system, despite an ever-increasing allocation to the national health budget. On the 6th of June 2018, the Health Ombudsman stated that the Health Department is on the verge of collapse based on events that occurred in Northwest and KZN, where the former involved the strike action that resulted in doctors and nurses being barred from entering some clinics, while the latter involved the report compiled by the SAHRC. And the report stated, that the department violated the rights of oncology patients at the Ed Dignington and Ngosi albert lutuli central hospitals to have access to health care and services as a result of their failure to apply with applicable norms and standards set out in the legislation and policies. The bad track record of government-run institutions are not exclusive to hospitals, but also in the sectors such as home affairs, the post office, and state-owned companies. Yeah, the waiting times at home affairs offices are significantly longer than the waiting times at privately owned banks. Furthermore, the bailouts that the government pays to state-owned companies are in the billions. Despite the ever-increasing money used to bail out state-owned companies, productivity in those companies are on the decline. Based on the track record of government-run institutions, do you want the same people who run home affairs, the post office, and state-owned companies to now run your health care? Okay, so my second point is that the NHI will lead to an increase in expenditure, inefficiencies, and lower quality of healthcare. A universal health system is nothing new, and it is practiced in over 100 countries. Countries such as Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, and Nordic countries have all been praised for the universal healthcare implementations and have been used as models by proponents of universal healthcare. However, what is really discussed are the ill effects of these schemes. Nobel laureate economist Milton Friedman stated in 1978 that there was a trend toward government involvement in healthcare, and that the spending toward healthcare by the government will lead to government controlling what they pay towards healthcare practitioners. Furthermore, the practice of the government spending and controlling the cost of healthcare will lead to practices that are against the interests of the patients, doctors, and other healthcare practitioners. Examples of these ill practices include the government paying less to healthcare practitioners, which leads to either healthcare practitioners taking their services abroad, healthcare practitioners minimizing their staff, which leads to the long waiting time for patients, and lastly, patient procedures being postponed due to a lack of resources, which inevitably leads to patients with sufficient funding to seek treatment abroad and the death of patients who are waiting for treatment. In addition to the ill practices, Government controlled healthcare will lead to an increase in spending and a decrease in productivity. Okay. In support of the claim that government controlled healthcare leads to practices that are against the interests of patients, doctors, and other healthcare practitioners, consider a 2017 article written by Sally Pipes, the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Pacific Research Institute. She provided examples of the ill effects of universal healthcare and cited examples from Canada, the United Kingdom and Australia. In the article, it was stated that the median waiting times of Canadians in 2016 was five months between referral from a general practitioner and the receival of treatment from a specialist. With regards to obtaining MRIs and CT scans, Canadian patients had to wait for months to receive such. Furthermore, at least 45,000 Canadians left their own country in 2015 to seek medical treatment abroad. The problems of the Canadian universal healthcare system do not end there. Between 1993 and 2009, 65,000 women died because of the spike in waiting times. In the United Kingdom, approximately 40,000 patients had to wait at least 18 weeks to begin treatment subsequent to referral in 2015 and at least 13,000 patients waited for more than six months during the same period. In Australia between 2015 and 2016, at least 14,000 patients had to wait over a year for elective surgery, and over 7,000 patients died waiting for a procedure or were unable to be contacted. In support of the claim that government-controlled healthcare will lead to an increase in spending and a decrease in productivity, consider a study conducted by Dr Max Gammon who spent eight years examining the British National Health Service. Gammon's study found that while the number of medical and administrative staff increased by 28% between 1965 and 1973, the yearly bed occupancy rate decreased by 11%. The drop in the bed occupancy rate was not due to the lack of patients available to occupy beds. In fact, there was a waiting list for beds in the region of 600,000 individuals. Furthermore, most of the expenditure on human resources during that period was on administrative positions which do not contribute to productivity. This process is called bureaucratic replacement. The proposed NHI is estimated to cost at least 250 billion rand a year which is about 17 billion US dollars and it will be funded by the taxpayer. However, When Dr. Aaron Mutoledi was asked how much the scheme will cost, he responded by saying that there is no way to determine the full cost of the National Health Insurance. Now, just to provide a comment on that, I think that's very worrying because if you don't know how much this will cost, but you're so adamant on implementing it, that sounds very, very um, dangerous and very worrying to me because you you should at least know what the estimated cost will be if you're going to try to implement something that's going to fundamentally change the lives of South African citizens. Okay, according to Mutaledi, NHI is going to be mandatory for health services, meaning once it's law, all South Africans will need to contribute to it if Treasury rules that it has to be funded through contributions from the population. Based on this quote, this is a blatant limitation of the freedoms of all South Africans. South Africans will not be able to choose a health plan that matches their needs and income. Another implication is that the NHI ultimately gives the government power to decide the fate of its own citizens, since they will be controlling the costs and payments made to the healthcare practitioners. Doctors may prescribe a treatment, and that will be overruled by the government, all in the name of controlling costs of health care. Bearing this in mind, old people will be the victims of such since they spend more on healthcare than young people. The government may opt to provide palliative care in a situation because it is cheaper as opposed to it being the only treatment available after exhausting all other available treatments. Furthermore, the NHI will manage referrals to specialists. Patients will not be allowed to utilize the services of specialists unless in the situation of an emergency or when referred to by the NHI. This significantly reduces the choices available to citizens should they require the services of a specialist. Furthermore, the long waiting times for a patient to utilize the services of a specialist will be lengthened significantly due to the implementation of the NHI. Ultimately, patients will have access to a waiting list, but that does not mean that they have access to healthcare. Just want to give you a backstory. Um, I've got an eye condition. It's called keratoconus. This is an eye condition where your cornea becomes cone-shaped. Therefore, when the light um, refracts on your cornea... You see ghosting in multiple images. Now, when I first got this, the first um, you know reaction that I had was that I had to go to see a specialist. So I went to an optometrist. The optometrist gave me um, some glasses and stuff, but then they weren't helping. But eventually, I had to go see a specialist. But I saw a specialist on my own account. Um, I decided to go to a specialist myself. Now, under under the National Health Insurance, I need to go to a GP. Then after I go to a GP, the GPS refer me to an ophthalmologist. And then I can only see the ophthalmologist. And I'll only be able to see the ophthalmologist like six to seven months later. And because this is a progressive eye condition, it can actually, by the time I go see the ophthalmologist, it may be too late to do anything with regards to my eye condition. So this is another reason why I I oppose this, because it's going to limit the options that citizens have available to them in order for them to see uh, what are the best options available. And you've heard, again, many stories of people that were in Canada that had cancer, and they had to leave and go to the United States to get treatment there, because they knew that if they go to the United States, yes, they'll be paying out of their own pocket, but hey, you know, at least I'll be getting uh, treatment much sooner than what the National Health Insurance Plan uh, provides. So that's just my commentary on that point. It's just that when it comes to the rights of citizens, I believe that citizens should have the right to go see whoever they want to see with regards to um, uh, getting a certain condition treated. But under National Health Insurance, that won't be the case. You have to follow the process, which will be terrible. Okay, so my next point is that healthcare should be treated as a commodity, not as a human right. And I know that sounds controversial, but I'm going to give you my reasons as to why that is the case. Okay, the essay continues. According to the South African Bill of Rights, every South African citizen has the right to access of healthcare services, and the state must take reasonable legislative and other measures within its available resources to achieve the progressive. Realization of the right to access of healthcare services. I argued that government intervention will make things far worse for South Africans, despite the good intentions that the interventions are founded upon. What the South African healthcare system needs is an environment for innovation to occur, and that can be made possible in a free market as opposed to the highly regulated market that is currently in place. If healthcare is treated as a commodity, This will allow for healthcare practitioners to produce low-cost disruptions which will enable services that were only available to high-end consumers more affordable to the lower-end consumers. An example of this phenomenon is the low-cost airlines industry. Before, flying was only available to the rich. But due to the innovation, what we know of low-cost airlines, many lower-end consumers were able to utilize air travel as a means of transport. Imagine if the same logic of the NHI is applied to the airlines industry. What will occur is a situation where airlines will become like home affairs. The pace of innovation will be much slower compared to industries that have more freedom. If the government attempts to institute legislation that coerces medical aides and healthcare practitioners to comply to a ridiculous standard, then that will increase the cost of healthcare for consumers. The free market needs to address the availability and efficiency of healthcare, and I do believe that it will. So to conclude, the NHI is a bill that has been founded on noble intentions, but legislation founded on noble intentions are not necessarily good pieces of legislation. What needs to be addressed in this situation are the actual outcomes of the legislation, and based on all data around the world, Universal healthcare brings forth inefficiencies, high monetary costs, lower quality of healthcare, lower productivity, a very slow pace of innovation in the healthcare industry, and less freedom for citizens. Medical aides and healthcare practitioners should be given more freedom so that they can be able to produce innovations that will make good quality healthcare more affordable to citizens. After all, smartphone companies have made Smartphones more available to the lower segments of the market with minimal regulations. Why can't we allow healthcare practitioners and medical aides to do the same? Okay, just to provide commentary on the conclusion, uh, I just wanna just make it clear that it's it's very important that when it comes to regulations, we have to be very careful of them. Um, many people will think that when companies and industries get regulated it's all in the benefit of defending the consumer but what happens is that when you when regulations are put in place it makes the product and the service much more expensive because there's a cost of of protection of the consumer and as a result of that the consumer pays the cost of protection and therefore something that was available to them is not so readily available so just be careful of that and also um when it comes to this whole national health insurance it's all under the guise of uh, of trying to make healthcare free just be careful of politicians guys politicians will always try to say but think about it healthcare is going to be free you're not going to pay for it now that's the thing about socialism socialism aims to try and give people this life where You don't have to worry about paying for school fees you don't have to worry about paying for health care you don't have to worry about paying for your car because the government will control all of that be careful guys because the moment the government gives you stuff for free it's going to cost you your freedom and your money so don't be fooled by politicians who say that this will benefit you that the national health insurance will benefit you it will not it will not benefit you at all all that it's going to do it's just going to Take um, an industry that's thriving and turn it into home affairs and any other government-run institution in South Africa. So please be careful. Don't be fooled by politicians when they tell you these things that, oh, but it's going to be free. You don't have to pay for it. Well, since we know there's no such thing as a free lunch, who's going to pay for it? Oh, they say it's going to be the government. Where's the government going to get the money from? How does the government make money? They make their money through taxes. So, of course, they're going to tax you more for all of this. And, again, it's not going to work out for you in the long run because now your spending power is going to decrease, right, just to fund the system. So I just want to make a point that, you know, just be careful when politicians promise you free stuff. You know, what citizens need is freedom, not free stuff. And when you have freedom, you have responsibilities. You have to... Um, be responsible in your actions. When you get free stuff, your freedom gets taken away. It's that simple. So what do you want? Do you want freedom or do you want free stuff? I choose the former because at least then I have the choices that I can make that'll make my life better. And there, and also it'll be satisfying because when you make the right choices, it'll be better for you. All right, so I'm gonna play a clip between Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams where they're discussing, national health care, or not national health care, rather universal health care, and the implications of such. It's a very good discussion, and I hope you enjoy it. Let's play the clip. What, what do you see as the major uh,
1: danger of, of Congress and, uh, and the White House getting involved with our health care system?
2: Oh, my gosh. Uh, they well, they will stop. they will uh, overrule what doctors say uh, you should need as treatment and they will overrule it based upon their idea of what will quote bring down the cost of health care mm-hmm. and given how given that most people spend far more money on, on medical treatment when they're old and when they're young that means a lot of old people are going to be sacrificed now they, they can call it whatever they want they can pretty it up with calling it ethics. This is already happening in Britain. It's already happening in other countries. There's not the slightest reason to doubt that when you give them that power, mm-hmm. it will happen here in the United States.
1: Well, that's right. And matter of fact, uh, w- when you speak about Britain, uh, that the um, the health secretary they have a, they have a particular name for it, but she has uh, yeah yeah. But, uh, but the person who's in charge of it, I forget the name the name of the la- lady. But she said that. Uh, That it's okay for people to be denied medical care who have unhealthy lifestyles, such as if you're a smoker, uh, uh, if you're obese, then you should not be uh, eligible for uh, or or there's a real chance that you might not get the kind of treatment that you need because you are guilty of maintaining a health style that uh, affects your health, a lifestyle that affects your health.
2: Well, these people are closet totalitarians. There's just no question about it.
1: Uh-huh. I mean, they,
2: they are so convinced that they know that what's best for us and that we poor dummies that we are would never understand it, that this is the kind of stuff you can expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but once once you agree to give the government this huge amount of power, it's, it's like opening the floodgates. When you open the floodgates, you can't tell the water where to go. Uhhuh. And so if you give the government enough power to, to, to quote, create social justice, you give them enough power to make life miserable for for millions of people.
0: Okay, so you heard what they had to say about that. The reality is that, um, you know, the government should not have that type of power. Just to give you an incident, um, there was a situation in Britain where there was a boy by the name of Alfie Evans. He had a, um, a brain condition. And he was on life support, and the government ruled that he had to go off life support because taking care of him was very expensive. Uh, His parents fought it. They eventually lost, and even the Italian government offered to assist this boy. They said they even gave the boy um, citizenship, and they said that, look, uh, the parents can come to the country, he can get treatment, and we'll assist them. But uh, the British government denied um this boy the right or denied the parents the right to take their child over to another country so that he can be treated for uh his ailments and that's the problem you see when you give the government this type of power and you are just going to give it to them because they're going to give you something for free then you need to ask yourself some really really hard questions what do you value more do you value free stuff more Or do you value freedom more? Freedom is what we need, not free stuff. And that's the point that I'm trying to push across. National health insurance is going to take away our freedoms, and we need to. And it's important, sorry, that we keep those freedoms, that we um, adhere to them, and also at the same time uh, respect those freedoms, because if we're going to be teaching young people that we should support things such as national health insurance and so forth, and all these um, social justice policies that um, promise to make our lives so much more comfortable and so much more easier, then we are heading in the wrong direction. Because basically what we're going to be doing is giving our freedoms away to the government and then the government will become totalitarian. And then before we know it, we actually... not have many freedoms left and this obviously won't happen immediately it happens over time walter williams talks about the concept of cooking a frog so how do you cook a frog when you cook a frog you don't just boil the water and then while the water's hot you throw the frog in there no what you do is because if you do something like that rather um, the frog will quickly jump and run away so what you rather do to cook the frog is that you put the frog in cold water and then you heat up the water very, very slowly. And then, before the frog knows it, it's in conditions that it cannot survive in, and then the frog will die. And that's what happens with regards to giving our freedoms away to the government. We saw that happen in Venezuela. That's the most recent example of such. And that country has failed big time, it's failing. I've mentioned before that the, some of these guys are eating out of trash cans, uh, dustbins, uh, as we call them in South Africa. We don't call them trash cans. I just said trash cans for the American audience. But eating out of dustbins, um, there's also those uh, people who even went into zoos to try and kill animals so that they can get some meat to eat. And um, that's dangerous, man all because these freedoms were taken away not rather taken away but rather given by the citizens to the government and then now when they realize that when you give all these freedoms away to the government what happens you get famine shortages and many things like that so south africa in my opinion is heading is heading down that path Um, with all these uh, bills coming in, national health insurance, and now there's this expropriation of land or expropriation of private property without compensation, which is very controversial. And these are just legislation that's going to take South Africa down the socialist path, which is part of the ANC's National Democratic Revolution, which is nothing more than a socialist um, wish list so okay so i'm going to just play one last clip for this podcast and uh, this clip is by yaron brook and he's in uh i think in great britain somewhere in england if i'm not mistaken or in this clip not that he's from there he's actually in um, i think he's an american i think he's born in israel if i'm not mistaken you can correct me on that if any of you guys have that type of information so um yaron brook um in this clip is speaking to um, a class of students about the ill effects of universal healthcare. So let me play the clip. Um, Where does the NHS sit um, within a capitalist idea? Would you abolish it or would you keep
1: it?
3: So this is great because um, I can say pretty much anything to a British audience and they'll go, okay, yeah. We disagree, we agree. But if I say anything about the NHS, oh my God, uh, it'd be dangerous for me to leave. Because you guys, I mean, for you, the NHS is like religion. It's like, it's unbelievable. And this is true. I mean, of course, I'd abolish the NHS. The NHS is killing you guys. It is okay, okay, killing okay. you guys. This is, no interrupting, well, let me finish. No interrupting. Let me finish. I just, I said a sentence. I'm going to explain. It. If you're a cancer, if you're healthy, by the way, if you're young and healthy, the NHS is wonderful. Because you don't need it. You you have a little bit of sniffles you go into the doctor they give you aspirin and they don't charge you and you think that's wonderful except but if you have cancer if you have heart disease you do not want to be in the uk because you because you well let me let me finish i get it i get it because because you're going to wait in long lines for your mri you're going to wait in long lines for your cat scan you're going to wait in long lines for your surgery the best doctors who are not making any money here are gonna go overseas, are gonna go into the private sector. You are getting, and the older you get, the more this will affect you. You are getting mediocre, at best, mediocre treatment when you get really sick. Uh, okay, no, Let I'm Let me afraid finish. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, doctors earn, as compared to the States, less. And in the States, doctors are earning less now because we're socializing healthcare in the United States. So doctors are leaving the profession and we're getting fewer and fewer doctors in the United States. And there's a shortage of doctors. More patients, shortage of doctors. As, aging, as the population is aging, fewer doctors. If you want high quality healthcare, if you want high quality education, it's, it's, education and healthcare are, are some of the most important values we have in the world. The last people you want running it is the government. They have no incentive to make it work well. They don't, you don't have a customer relationship. There's no competition. There's no innovation. 75% of all innovation in the world in healthcare happens in the one country that has a little bit of freedom left in healthcare which is the United States. I want every entrepreneur that goes in and makes a stupid little app for this thing because this is the only place where we still have a little bit of freedom in the world. I want him to think about how to build the best school in the world possible, to build the great educational product because our mind is much more important than an app. I want him to figure out the next best way to cure cancer or heart disease. But if you take the profit motive out of those treatments, the incentive goes away, the motivation goes away. Not only that, going back to cost. What happens in freedom, in a free market, in every single product and service, every single one, is that as competition and innovation happen, prices go down and quality goes up. Just look at the world you live in. The stuff you take for granted is this stuff, because that's the stuff being produced. And what happens prices here? They go down and quality goes up. In everything that's true, except in two areas, healthcare and education. Why? Because those are dominated, even in the United States, by government. Government perverts the incentives it perverts the incentive to innovate. It perverts the incentive to compete. It perverts the incentive to keep prices down. It perverts the incentive to increase quality. Now, poor people in a real market economy could buy insurance. You know how much insurance, health insurance, in the United States, in places that have v- uh, very few regulations, costs less than your monthly cell phone bill. That's how much it costs to get insurance. In, in, in places. And that's why people who believe in socialized medicine don't want insurance companies in the United States to compete across state lines. Because they don't want the truth to be discovered that in some places in the US, you can buy health insurance for less than a cell phone bill. Now, every poor person in America, almost 95%, I think, have cell phones. Healthcare is more important than a cell phone. You can give up a cell phone. Go buy insurance. Right? Now, that's in a world where we've got massive regulations. Imagine if there were no regulations, all those costs, all that insanity that the government brings to the insurance market. I, for example, I'm I'm 53 years old. I've got two sons a little older than you guys. Um, I'm not going to have any more kids. My wife's done. We were done (laughs) 20 years ago. We were done, right? right? I mean, even if we wanted to, we couldn't at this point, is the reality. I have to buy maternity coverage. Because the state of California has decided that you cannot sell an insurance policy in California without maternity coverage. So guess what? I pay more money than I should. Much more money. than You know, I'm never going to do acupuncture. I tried it a long time ago. I'm not going to do acupuncture. It doesn't work for me. I don't know if it works for you. It doesn't work for me. In the state of California, I buy coverage that covers acupuncture. But I'm never going to use it. You still have to pay for it. So the insanity of the government telling me what's good for me, of the government determining for you what kind of insurance, raises the cost. And reduces the quality. The best thing you can do for healthcare. By the way, I come from a country with socialized medicine, as socialized as the NHS, which is Israel. And Israel has a pretty good healthcare system because it has lots of doctors. Why does Israel have a lot of doctors? Because it's the Jewish state, right? It has a lot of doctors and they're good doctors. But if you're really, really sick in Israel and you have the money, you fly to the United States of America. When Berlusconi in Italy gets sick, he doesn't come to the UK to benefit from the NHS. He goes to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. That's the standard. The standard is the Mayo Clinic. And figuring out how to provide the Mayo Clinic to poor people is an interesting issue. But you don't do it by socializing it. You don't do it by destroying the Mayo Clinic, which is what the NHS has done.
0: Okay, that's the end of the clip. So I just, um, the point that I was just trying to get across with that clip, was that um, human beings, you know, their behavior has not changed. As I said in my first podcast, that if you look at the 3,000 years of human history, human beings have not changed their behavior in terms of um, their need or desire to expand or to drive something for their own selfish purpose. That has not changed. And that's the same thing. That And when you've seen... In industries where you've allowed for for human beings to go out there and trying to pursue their own objectives, you see that they become wealthy, they're able to provide these services or goods that they want to sell to people at a much lower rate than when it's regulated. So the same thing works with, um, with healthcare, is that we need to allow for an atmosphere that uh encourages innovation and the only way we can do that is that if we give doctors the incentive uh the own their own private and selfish incentive to actually try and give out goods and services at a lower rate and i think that'll be good because if you can allow doctors to compete amongst each other they will be able to provide um a much better and a much efficient service. So remember, when the government socializes this whole thing, they remove the incentive. Then the doctors go. When the doctors go to another country, you have less doctors. When you have less doctors, the quality of health care decreases. You already, seen, you already saw in KZN um, with oncology doctors. Apparently now there are no oncologists in KZN, um, in the public sector at least. I don't know in the private sector, but in the public sector, there's no oncologists. And this is run by the state. Because I think the oncologists saw that it's not worth their time staying and working in a, in a public hospital, but they can do better by actually going into that field privately and therefore they can achieve their own ambitions and own objectives. So we need to understand that human behavior plays a major factor in the success of, um, of innovations. And if we allow people to chase their own selfish ambitions, and um, you know, create these innovations. It'll benefit everybody as opposed to socializing the whole thing. Okay, everyone. Um that that takes me to the end of my podcast. Um, I really hope you guys enjoyed it. I really hoped you learned a lot. As always, if you have any comments and any questions, you can always put them in the comment section on YouTube, also on SoundCloud as well. You can do the same thing. I'll read it and I will Uh, also reply to it as well so i want to thank you for all the support Uh, it's really great and fantastic so guys enjoy this week and yes i will see you next time